You are listening to an American Theater podcast. American Theater is a publication of Theater Communications Group. www.americantheater.org. Surprise, Roland! Quiet! I forgot that you existed. It isn't love, it isn't hate, it's just indifference. You know, Taylor oh. Swift should write a musical. <laughs> About what? I have no idea. The only musical she could write was written in the 80s. It was Cats. No, or Six, but about her ex-boyfriends. Because two of them are on Broadway right now. <laughs> and she probably would have killed uh, a few of them. Okay, come on. Let's, let's, get, let's get started. Hi, this is Deep Trance, your editor at American Theatre Magazine. I'm Jose Solis, a freelance theater critic. And we're your token theater friends. People who love theater so much that even if we're about to fall asleep... Yeah, because you're on allergy pills. Yeah, because you're on allergy pills. Or we're about to break out in hives, we'll still go to a show. <laughs> <laughs> that was like ages ago. Was the show that good? I don't remember why it was. It probably wasn't. Yeah, because if you don't remember. Yeah. It was like one of the Shakespeare's in the park, so. Mm. If it was a tragedy, it was not good. If it was a comedy, it was probably fun. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's probably, or if it was like earlier Shakespeare, it was probably good. If it was like later, like, you know, Corley Alanis, you're like, uh, take it or leave it. <laughs> oh my God, it's so long also. Anyway, we're not talking about Shakespeare in the park today, thank God. We are, we have other shows that we're doing. What are we talking about? We're going to be talking about Freestyle Love Supreme running on Broadway, uh, Mothers running at the Playwright's Realm. Sorry. Should I read to that part? Yes. Yeah, or if you're going to lean back, like, put your mic up next. Okay. You can hold your mic if you really wanted no, to. I'm going to feel like I'm Utkarsh or one of the people from Freestyle. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about Freestyle Love Supreme. Oh, what yeah. Mic check. This is my <laughs> mic check. <laughs> we're not going to be doing improv or, like, freestyle. I don't know the difference. I guess we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about Freestyle Love Supreme currently running on Broadway mothers at the playwright's realm and sunday by jack thorne oh my god that was so bad sorry (laughs) (laughs) spoiler alert (laughs) that shit was fucking unbearable anyway and sunday at the atlantic theater company Amazing. And after that, we have an amazing interview we did with Javier Munoz, who we call sexy Lin-Manuel Miranda. Lin's never going to be on our show now. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Because he's most famous for being in Hamilton and in the Heights. And being very sexy. And And being very sexy. He's in a new play. And then after that, we talk about Judy, the movie, who is also on Jose's arm because... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jose has a Judy Garland tattoo, so she is in the room with us as we talk about Judy. That's going to be the name of my memoir, the gay with the Judy tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I smell bestseller already. Okay. okay, first off, let's talk about Freestyle Love Supreme. Yeah, Freestyle Love Supreme is 
What is it? It's a celebration of freestyle. Like it's a yeah. It's like a it's like an improv comedy show yeah. using rap, freestyle rap. Yeah, with amazing people from the Lin universe, as we're called. Maybe that's what we should call this episode today, like the Lin universe. Exactly. Yeah, uh, we have people that he's worked with in the past, like Utkarsh. Uh, I don't know her. Utkarsh Ambukar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We there's people who have worked with him in the past, like Utkarsh Ambukar. And uh, Christopher Jackson, so cool. George Washington. Yeah. And the night we saw it, uh, James Monroe Iglehart was there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who the white people were. Um, uh, and, like- and, and Anthony Venizali was uh, the host. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a rotating, it's like a rotating cast and it's playing on Broadway right now. Yeah. Um, and they freestyle and they sing about, uh, they ask the audience for words and suggestions and they sing based on what they get from the audience. It's very, uh, excuse me. It's very, uh, I think what's it, what's that place? Is it UCB? Yeah. UCB. Yeah. Where they do like musical improv. It's Mm -hmm. that. And, um, to be honest, I was thinking to myself all the time that I was watching the show, like this, this show belong on Broadway. Cause why not? I, I mean, if Bruce Springsteen's on Broadway, yeah, why not? Bruce Springsteen's like so boring. And what I mean by that is the uh, Freestyle Love Supreme is like the kind of show that I feel like demands for a rowdier audience. Like nothing like that's confined to be just like sitting, waiting for things to happen. Like I mm-hmm. wish I could have seen that show uh, while having drinks in like cocktail tables or something like that. Okay. You know what I mean? The, yeah. But the funniest thing... Th- though is and i don't know how they did this but that audience was like as i saw a children's show that audience was like the youngest audience i've ever seen like i was sitting next to grade schoolers people <laughs> parents brought their eight-year-olds to freestyle love supreme while the people on stage were rap were rapping about doing drugs <laughs> and there were a lot of children there were so was many like, children oh, yeah. i don't know how and it was so funny to uh, notice that every time they asked uh, people to participate, it would always be like a little Children. kid. Or a super old person. Who mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, oh, and uh, Jose and I happened to go on the same night, so we're going to be talking about the same show we that would, we saw. Yeah. It was enjoyable. I mean, it's not a profound experience. I really, I really admire... I'll just shout out some performers I really loved, like like Urshkat Ambutkar. Like he, he was he was the he was originally okay. supposed to play Aaron Burr and uh, he couldn't do it because of alcohol problems. But he's in recovery, so he's fine now. But he, his his ability to rhyme really intricate words like Bhagavad Gita and reincarnation, like I was really impressed with him the mm-hmm. most. He's a very eloquent uh, performer yeah. also because I interviewed him a couple of years ago when he did a movie with uh, Brie Larson, Don't Ask. And he was just so thoughtful. And I love the fact that this thoughtfulness comes across when he's mm-hmm. making up stuff on stage. Yeah, yeah. It's like funny, but also like very, you're like, mm, he must have been thinking about this for like years. I think it also, I think what you're saying about it being on Broadway, maybe not being the right fit for it because... It's so expensive. Yes, so expensive. And also, I think the quality of the performances depends on what the audience gives to them. Yeah. And when you have, like, super old people that pay, like, 300 bucks to go see that show, they're going to be like, I want my money back. Or they're, like, going to be shy about giving suggestions. I mean, our yeah. audience wasn't shy about it, even though it, and it was, a, like, a Sunday night at 7. Well, so. they do yell. 
I didn't yell anything. I'm a lady. Because <laughs> I saw your sister. She was like very excited about it. Yeah, yeah. No, she really wanted to go on stage and they didn't pick her and they picked like a boring theater very, critic very instead. Boring. So Anthony Venezel, please pick better people yes, please. when you pull them on stage. They picked so many white people. They picked a lot yeah. of white people. And I, I mean, I love the fact that uh, performers like Utkarsh at some point would always make fun of, you know, whiteness and mm-hmm. all this nonsense. But I was like, I mean, we kind of know that already. Like, we are here to escape that effect. Because, yeah, I mean, we don't want to, like, have to think about that also. And I would have loved to see them celebrate and, like, even roast, like, uh, audience members of color. Yeah, personally, yeah. yeah. Or have so like, or have more fun with the fact that you're, you're people of color dominating, like, a predominantly yeah. white space. It's not like, yeah, it's not like they have some sort of, like, secret plan. Or like, mm-hmm. or like catacombs or whatever. Though regarding the children, I also feel like if you're going to take your child to a rap show, I think this may be the cleanest rap show you can ever take your kid. And I wonder if any, if any of that has to do with the fact that it's on Broadway. Mm. Kind of like, oh, we can only play with, you know, we can only choose like really safe. Yeah, that's a good point. Be like PG topics to think about. That's a very good point. Are, were you kind of uh, disappointed in Chris Jackson just a little bit? I didn't think much about him either way. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. I was happy to see him. Yeah, I was very happy um, to see him. Like, because I was saying close enough where I could see him try to like come in a certain yeah. pot at certain points, but he, I sometimes he would not come in, or sometimes he would come in, but but it would be kind of nothing notable. And so I'm wondering if like the quality of the performance that you get from these people, the performances will vary. I think based yeah. on how they're feeling that day. I, I just assumed, I guess, that he wanted to give, like, the younger people, like, the spotlight. Really? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. everyone knows him. Like, I mean, I was like, huh. and I don't even love that show. Sorry. You don't even. Yeah. So if you didn't love Hamilton, you wouldn't appreciate this as much. <laughs> I'm sorry, Hamilton. Yeah. No, quality aside, like, I really enjoy, like, having whatever it is they're doing to, like, make the space more... To make it so that more young people can go to it is is mem- is to be commended. Yeah. Considering Hamilton, the audience for Hamilton it. is so old. So whatever you're doing, good job, we saw Love Supreme. Maybe the night that we had could have been better, depending I on. The- yeah, I enjoyed. It. I, yeah. I mean, I don't remember like other than the joke about the um, doctor on the elephant. I don't really remember anything else. The Russia stuff? The Russia stuff was great. Oh, the Russia, yeah. Because they were doing Russian... They, the prompt was, give us a word that you love. <laughs> a thing that you love. And someone said Russian. And I'm like, what? Is Putin in the room? <laughs> and one of and then one of the performers used Gulag as, as a lyric. And I was like, just bent over my seat. Because I just love creativity. Amen. Like that. Okay, that's and an, 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 I think that's all we have. Yeah, I think that's all we have for freestyle love supreme. It's it's it is an enjoyable experience. I'll have to say though that it's the first time you've enjoyed something like that that has no plot. Okay, well I I, I know it didn't have a plot. It didn't pretend to have a plot. No, that's true. That's fine. It it, it it's it's a it's fun at the theater. I mean, granted, I don't I don't know how like impressed you would be if you were an MC just because. Usually, usually with like when you, when you see like a real life rap battle, they're like really fighting each other. 
and and like they're competing with each other to like make like the you know deliver the best lines. So but, not like Pitch Perfect. So like Pitch Perfect, basically oh. like Pitch Perfect. But they don't, okay. So yeah, but so so this has none of that confrontational element to it or conflict. It's very much these performers are just showcasing what they can do for an audience that they probably assume do not know the genre. Yep, that's it. So if you want to learn about you know. Freestyle Rap 101, this is going to be the place. <laughs> and then if you bring your little kid, they'll probably want to start freestyling too. I love that it's, um, I don't know, my thought went away. This episode is brought to you by Benadryl. Benadryl yeah, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> okay, Freestyle Love Supreme is selling until January 5th. And maybe they'll extend it. Who knows? Long? Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, tickets are 59 to $199. And the next show we're going to talk about is Sunday by Jack Thorne Must at we? Atlantic Theater Company. And the only reason we're talking about it is because Jose and I have not seen the same kind of shows recently. So, and we both saw this. So we're going to talk about it. It's about a bunch of millennials who gather in New York apartment for a book club meeting. And then they start arguing about politics and ethics but it's all but it's really about how they feel like they have no direction in their lives and everyone's kind of unsatisfied because they're in their early 20s what the hell do you have to be satisfied about your life hasn't even started yet anyway sunday just killed my banjo buzz so <laughs> thank you thank you very much uh Jose was having a great time up until now. Yeah, because I was like, oh, like freestyle and Utkarsh and like elephants mm, and, like, and Chris Jackson, the tangerines. And, yeah, and now I have to think about this show. That was like, it's, uh, it wasn't even. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that's it. Because <laughs> it wasn't even like dreadful or like bad. It was just like, oh, uh, okay. It's like one of those shows about young people written by someone who, one, is not a young person and is also did seem to have really formed relatable relationships with young people mm -hmm. in a way that he could write them realistically. You know what it is? It's like yeah. Gossip Girl without the fun. Yeah, so it's like girls. It's it's it, it's it's like Lena Dunham's girls, except Lena Dunham did it a lot better. Okay, so my problem with this play is that they made you go see it. Is you made me go see it? This was <laughs> your idea. It was your idea. What day no. do you see Sunday? I think I saw it on a Saturday. Same. <laughs> it was like the sleepiest Saturday I've ever had. Because it's short, but it felt like endless. It felt like endless. So the thing is, like, it's every what. Baby boomers think millennials are worried about or what they think millennials feel. Avocados. Yeah. Yeah. Avocados. Vodka. And you know what? But my problem with it is that like what it was, what it was talking about, which is like young people feeling like they have no direction and they just feel general, you know, ennui about the state of existence. You know, without having a job, when you don't have a job, when you don't know what you're, you're going to do with your life. Like that on paper, that is relatable because, you know, we've all been through that and yeah. we're still and you know, Jose and I are both millennials in case you don't know. Oh, God, yeah, we're young. But at the same time, I don't think this is the right 
play for this moment when you're talking about young people, especially, you know, like what happened in the same week that I saw this play was like the 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 climate change mm. protest that was happening around yeah. the world that was led by young people. And the yeah. thing is like, you can't sh- create a play shitting on young people when young people are the ones that are acting actively asking for change like alexandria ocasio-cortez is in the house right now you you all need to stop shitting on millennials this is not funny anymore it never was no it was never funny and now it's just getting uninspiring and dull and 90 minutes of my life i want to get back who do you think the show's for, though? Like, do you think that the super old people mm-hmm. were like, oh, no, I can't millennials, Debbie, or like... Yeah, I think it's for the boomers so that they can they can know what the, the youths are thinking about. Except the youths don't really think like that. Cause like, also, like, what I wonder when I was sitting there at the Atlantic Theater, uh, at the Linda Gross, was um, how can Atlantic Theater Company go from Secret Life of Bees to Sunday? People have multitudes. You know, to use a literary, you know, reference, like Walt, it's like Walt Whitman. They have, this company has multitudes. Oh, God. Can you <laughs> narrow down that? So we have to see more bees on the Sundays. Yeah. And also Jack Thorne ruined Harry Potter for me. So I, I'm still mad. I'm sorry. I'm still, that's, that's my it, right? bias. I'm still mad. <laughs> what do you do to it though? He wrote a bad play. Mm. That's still on Broadway. Yeah. It's a bad play. But I mean, it was never about the words. I know that, but this Sunday is supposed to be about the words, and yet all the words just kept meaning nothing. Oh, Oh, what do you think the narration added to this? It was so lazy. I I mean, it's like show, not tell people. You're doing too much telling. Since nothing happens, we can describe what happens in the end. And in the end, it's like all these people who've met for this book club. We learn what happened to them, you know. And later. it's yeah, and it's basic for the most, except for like it's basic except for the black boy who kills himself. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, that's dark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a choice. Yeah, and talk about like trying to do like so baby like both things at the same time because there's also this really awkward romance between the black neighbor and the. Yeah, the black yeah. neighbor and his late thir- his the the thirty eight year old black neighbor and the twenty two year old girl. Yeah. And then she's like, come into my apartment. I'm just like, girl, girl, girl. That's not a thing that happens in real life. No one invites strange, no smart, well-read 22-year-old girl invites a strange man in her apart- into her apartment at two in the morning. No, they don't. No. Only men can write shit like that. <laughs> only men. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jack Thorne. Sorry that we're shitting so much on your Are you, though? <laughs> no, sorry, not sorry. Anything else you want to say about this play? <laughs> I think we killed it enough. I was yeah. glad it was over. Hmm? Yeah, I was glad when it was over. Yeah. Th- th- this is a good learning opportunity for everybody involved. If you're going to write a play about millennials and you're over the age of 40, don't write it. Oh. Just yeah. let millennials speak for ourselves. Yeah, this show was like Joe Biden come to life. <laughs> Right? Yeah, Joe Biden complete with like the inappropriate touching. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's for Joe Biden. It's for the Joe Bidens of the. See, the boomers. I told you it's for the boomers. Joe Biden's like even older than a boomer, I think. Is he? No, he's not. 
No, I think he's pretty boomer. Yeah. He's boomer age. Yeah. Boomer ang. All right. Well, if you feel like disagreeing with us, Sunday is running until October 13th, and tickets are 51 to $86. And kill my banjo, but so. Yeah. Even more reasons to dislike it. But if you do take banjo before you go, it's going to be a great <laughs> napping time. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Next, uh, last show. A show that feels like it was, like, done on a Benadryl bus. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Mothers by Anna Moinch is a play that I wish we didn't have to, like, describe anything about. Because it's a show that starts out as a, kind of like a very, very, very dark comedy about a group of moms uh, standing in some sort of, like, daycare kind of yeah, situation. Yeah, Yeah. Where the kids are... Uh, off stage we can't mm-hmm. see them and which means we're basically the kids because they're looking at us all the time and it's moms from different uh cities like moms from different cultural backgrounds and we kind of meet them where they are and we learn a little bit about uh who they are and what the relationships are like and there's a dad also and then shit happens yeah. and it <laughs> is so unbelievably coherent mm-hmm. and i was you know because things happen and oh god i wish we didn't have to we didn't even have to tell people that things happen there's an encroaching threat as ooh. the mothers are in the daycare and then shit hits the fan it's the patriarchy <laughs> uh yeah the handmaid's tale it's a handmaid's yeah. tale but with like i don't know like cannibalism Oh God! Don't tell them. Don't, don't spoil the cannibalism. They don't know. I'm telling the truth. That's, there yeah. is can. Yes, cannibalism happens. It reminds me of like a play that I love that kind of got me into theater, which is um, "Blasted" by Sarah Kane, which also sets, which also begins in just like a regular room, and people are talking, and then like over the course of the play, like there is a war happens outside, and the room just gets, you know, trashed, and then someone eats a baby. Oh. Yeah. So, except if this was, except, you know, Blaster was not about motherhood. It was about war. So it's like Mother, the J Law movie. Mm hmm. Yeah. Oh my God, Mother. I love Mother. I love so much that Anna Monge has, you know, when I was sitting there, I remember thinking to myself, this is what a day in New York feels like where you leave the house and you don't know what the fuck's going to happen to you. And then, like, something really incredibly insane happens and i don't know how she i guess it's talent (laughs) how she did that thing where like there were so you know the show was like exploding almost literally like there were Mm -hmm. threads going everywhere and she brought them all back and she allowed us to meet all the characters and learn something about all of them while at the same time being also very idiosyncratic i mean the the children are played by uh teddy bears Mm -hmm. and i don't know it did so many things for me that um i don't know i really liked it i and i just saw it last night so i think i'm still processing it but for for me what this play did really well was shit's got shit hits the fan we're just gonna tell you that but but the thing is the moment before that happens like it's so long and mundane (laughs) and just it's just you know the quotidian bullshit that mother parents 
are worried about when you're when they're raising their kids like do we vaccinate them what do we feed them sleeping schedules all that and like i felt myself just like getting bored and just like getting lulled into the play and so when the shit hits the fan like I felt like I was implicated in the mm. oh you thought this was normal it's <laughs> not so you felt like so invited you know yeah. I felt I felt like it was very immersive like I I huh. felt that I was in the daycare and I thought everything was gonna be okay huh. and then when everything turned out to not be okay and then it just started started getting just worse and worse and worse which I know what Anna was going for she like. She was talking in the program about being inspired by like a genocide in, um, in I think Cambodia or some kind of genocide. She was inspired by a genocide, and I think what the play was doing was trying to do was, you know, like the everyday, like we just live our lives and assume everything's going to be okay while the world falls down around us. Yeah. But not anymore because the president's going to be impeached. Don't say it out loud before <laughs> it happens. God. Don't get me too excited about it. I, uh, who's the set designer for the show? Oh, yeah. I kind of thought. Yeah. They did, they did a lot with, 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 on one set. You cannot put this. Hmm? Wilson Chin. Yeah. Wilson Chin. Yeah. You cannot put this on a podcast, but I thought the white dad was really cute. Mmm. Mm. It's not my fault. Anyway, and then when um, the shit hit the fan, did, did you feel? Did you feel bad? Did you feel guilty? No, 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 no. Because I, uh, well, this is not going to be a podcast. Or mm-hmm. will it be? Will it be on the podcast? I mean, it can be because uh, it's interesting that you asked that because I always knew not to trust him. So, and I mean, I'm not spoiling anything. Where you're like, don't trust the straight white guy. Don't trust the straight white guy, even if he's a dad. He's still gonna fuck you over. Especially if he's in that probably like isn't like uh what's his name? Uh the uh Brett Kavanaugh, a dad. Oh yeah, and, yeah, no no no. It's always like yeah. I am I'm I'm a I'm, I'm the father of a daughter as the husband of a wife. As the gardener of like a garden. Okay, uh so Wilson Chin did decide to set design. I love the set so much because it took me a while to even notice at the beginning where it's just the mom's uh standing and like lounging watching it you know looking at their kids while they do stuff it took me a while to realize that the tables like the cocktail tables they were resting on were uh pieces of that thing what's that called did you notice that no you know that no game? i don't know what it's called but you you have tetris like, no you know that thing they give babies it's like a cube with like Empty. Oh yeah, yeah, the little things that that, that, that teaches them about shapes. Yeah. Yeah, and did you notice the the, the tables for that? Wait, oh no, but I didn't know notice that one table was like a slide. Yeah, and the other one's like an arch. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was like you know it's the pieces. So like they're all we're all children. Yeah, and also like from the beginning, fish. You know, because it took me so long to realize that, and it made me think how all along the plate kind of gives you clues of what's going on it's like a very oh yeah no definitely yeah. the sound design yeah it's very cerebral but it's also mm-hmm. very uh subtle about it mm-hmm. like no mom goes like oh looks like we're like in a box with like the shapes yeah yeah or like oh there's a war going on it's like no nothing it's just sounds in the background outside yeah. and the set itself is so simple like the actual like structure where the 
think takes place is the columns, basically, mm-hmm. right? Like wooden columns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it all looks so normal <laughs> until it's not. Yeah, is it, this is this is the thing I say say often. You know, it's like a lot of. Uh, it's like this place is really fucked up. But in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I. I love I love playwrights realm so much because yeah, same. because even the plays that I don't like are just so interesting. Like there's nothing like Mothers mm. in New York right now. Mm-hmm. Well, except uh, Sunday. No, so, except actually uh, that play the other play I was talking telling you about Will Arbery's Heroes oh, of the Fourth Turning. Seen that playwrights. Yeah, Horizon. there's yeah. some. Uh, there, speaking of like set des- a sound design, there's like some fu- there's like some fucked up shit that goes down then too there too. Oh, wow. so, so there's something in the water in New York right now, and I love it. Keep <laughs> drinking it, playwrights. It's dragon fruit and. Guava. Mm-hmm. And it's the water of we're not gonna it's you know, freedom water. We're not gonna take any shit from anybody anymore. You know, if someone tried to bottle freedom water, it would be like the family running the White House right now, it would probably be like from the Gawanus Gawanus Canal and like Yeah, yeah. And they, oh yeah. And then we'd be and and then they'd be like, Oh, well we we get yeah, pay thirty bucks for it because it has no lead in it. Yeah. And like I'm very angry at Sunday right now because I was having such a blast with my Benadryl. <laughs> And now I had to go back to my millennial reality of avocados. Mm. Well, you know, and it ruined both of our Saturdays. Yeah. Well, unlike Mother's, though, Mother's did not ruin my night, even though a lot of shit happens. The ensemble is so incredible. The ens- yes. Oh, my goodness. I actually want to... I love the actor who played uh, the caretaker. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, like Tina Chalip. And, like, I love that she had a mix of, you know, mom, people who are moms and dads and, and also, like, caretakers. Who are so important. Who are yeah. nannies. And, you know, the, you know what? And she gives credit to the fact that nannies have a, f- a really hard, thankless <laughs> job. Hard. That they're giving their love to children sometimes that, you know, while their own children are, like, far away. Yeah, yeah. It's like... And she did so, and Tian did so much like, she, she didn't talk for like the first half. Her face was so like, exactly. Compelling. Like she's just, just in the corner and like every time there, all the other moms are talking and you're just like, what are you, right, what, yeah, what are you thinking? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you know, like it, I don't know, like it, the more I think about this play, the more I feel like a lot of the things, it should have worked. Hmm? This play shouldn't have worked. No, it did. Oh, no. It shouldn't it's have bonkers. Worked. Yeah. And then, like, everything worked so smoothly that I'm like, bravo. I cannot wait to see what this playwright does. Yeah, next. exactly. Or hopefully someone will, you know, take it and put it somewhere else. <gasps> Mothers staring J-Law, doing all the characters <laughs> in a movie. A follow-up version. to Hustlers. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Um, okay, well, Mothers is running until October 12th, and tickets are so cheap. You should get on that. The last row of every performance is $8, and the rest of the tickets are 30 It's so cheap, and it's a great play. Go, go. Just go. And the theater's very small. Like, there's not a bad seat. Yeah, the you could see, you'll be able to see Tina's face as she acts and tells you what's happening oh, yeah, you're without not saying anything. Should we yeah. mention the uh, POC night? I think oh, it's... Is, do they have more POC nights? 
I that was the first one I did, but uh, Roberta said that they might be doing them more often. Okay, so keep your eye out for POC night. I think so because uh, it was so cool because the only white people in the audience were actually critics. <laughs> so it was I don't know. I was like, it was very. I'm like Javier right now. Like I don't know the word. I think it was. It was very special. I'll go with special. Mm-hmm. It was very special to see that play. And then when the lights go on and you look around, there's like no white people. It's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Did you hear like Slave Play had like an all black night? That's so, so incredible. I know. It's like, oh, I wish I could have been there, except I know it's not my space. But yeah, something similar yeah. for, you know, the rest of us. Yeah. Anyway, go see Mothers is what we're saying. Go right now, yeah. Yeah, and then call your mom and be like, I'm sorry. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, okay. Uh, you want to intro Javier? Let's do it. Next up, we talk to Javier Munoz, who's so wonderful and the sexy Lynn. I mean, we shouldn't call him that. We need to, we need yeah. to stop calling him sexy yeah, Lynn. I'm sure he doesn't appreciate it. No, he doesn't. Okay, sorry. Let's redo that part. Uh, next up, we're going to talk to Javier Munoz, who you might know from Hamilton in the Heights. And if you watch TV on Freeform, Shadowhunters. Javier is doing a play, not a musical right now, called The New Englanders at Manhattan Theater Club. So let's go um, listen to what he had to say. Hi, everyone. We are here today with Javier Munoz. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. This um, is awesome. Can you tell us about the New Englanders that you're doing right now? Yes, it is at MTC at Stage 2. Uh, it is a, a small group of us, a 90-minute play based in New England. Um, without giving away too much, there are multiple themes happening. The, the, the search for purpose and and your place in the world, as well as defining what defines you that's external and how do you define yourself within the context of racial relations of sexual identity of your personal relationships the you know the environments we work and live in um and how do you pursue what you're pursuing with all those obstacles and all those questions yeah all right and I feel like one of the themes of the play also is like middle aged and look at and when you hit that Very certain much. age looking back on your life and I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we can't tell how old you are. Bless you. Thank you so much. But was that one of the reasons that drew you to the script? It was was there something yeah, in that Absolutely, yeah. yeah, because there's not a lot you know, so much is written right now for and and wonderfully so for, for, for our younger generation. And it's, you know, I think it ebbs and flows. I think we have times where then what's being created or revived is for us more middle-aged folks. (laughs) And, uh, but you know, it's, 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 um, it's wonderful to find a piece that is so, so, um, it's fingers on the pulse of everything that we're talking about, everything that we're living through right now and have it be an older cast, you know, and that's, it's really kind of wonderful. Um, and yeah, that did draw me to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's more comfortable to just play my own age. <laughs> I know. But, you know. <laughs> yes, you're not a young teenager. Yeah. You like, where's the wig? Okay. <laughs> it's so strange for people to think of you and you're not singing. And, I know. Yeah. And I wonder, like, did you learn a script with, like, some melody? <laughs> 
<laughs> but this is what I did first. This is this is like right. I, I mean, in 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 high school and in my first sort of uh, few years working professionally, acting is all I did. I didn't really discover discover musical theater till later, and. I mean, I, I loved it, and I watched it, and I did musicals. But as as far as what I wanted to pursue, I wanted to pursue just acting, just straight theater. Um, and then I got to dancing, and then I got uh, you know really immersed in musical theater, and that's been my entire career. Um, and that was also something that drew me to this was the fact that it's just a play, mm-hmm. and and just to get to because it's something completely different. A book and a musical isn't where most of the conflict happens or where most of the discoveries happen. They do, but it's not the bulk of it, right? It, it relies heavily on the, on the musicality, the actual songs themselves, the duets, the, 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 all of those elements, right? Adding to the journey of a character and the telling of the story. This, you know, a straight play is just, you've just got to be listening and you've got to respond and it's got to be in the, the, you know, and I love it, the very, very small details. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the juicy work, you know, and that's I, I love. I mean, if I could just do straight plays, I mean, I, I do love my musicals, but if I could just do straight <laughs> plays, I mean, I would. You know, they're they're just they're another beast, and they're so much fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So send you all the straight plays, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. it, it's so funny. So when 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 I first read this the summary for New Englanders, it, you know, I read, oh, it's about middle aged gay couple setting their daughter off to college. And I'm like, oh, so Javier's playing a husband. And then I realized, oh, wait, no, you're playing the lover who, you know, tempts one of the man in the relationship to, like, leave his husband, potentially. And it made me think of the Bridges of Madison County, and it's like you're the Clint Eastwood. Very much. <laughs> it's so great. I don't really get to, you know, like, I, I, I love playing these characters that are, you know, on the surface and on the page. You, you just look at them and you think that they're the bad guy, right? But when you when you can dive into those characters and expose their humanity, that's so much fun. Mm-hmm. To, to get to play someone that should be technically the bad guy of the moment or of the, of the entire piece and, and turn him into such a human being that it, the audience has to think about whether they like this character or not. They have to question, well, what? I don't know. They're not so bad. Why am I having sympathy? Why do I have compassion? That's what I want to create, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that that's the conversation is instead of just a label of bad, it's the human underneath, and 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 that's that's Raúl, because definitely on the surface he's don't don't give him any money, <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't trust him with anything, um, but that's not who he is at the end of the day, really, you know these these mo- these scene by scene moments to moments uncovering and discovering of, of him. Um, I really like him a lot. I really, I care about him, right? I Mm -hmm. care about, I don't want to give away too much. I care about his family situation. I care about where he's headed next, you know, after all these things that happen. And, um, yeah. And I, and that's, that's a fantastic, yeah. You went from being in, you know, one of the biggest shows in history. Yeah. And it's a show about, you know, how this country was established. Yes. And now you're doing a play that's kind of like, you know, at the end of like how this experiment started and how far we've come in so many ways. And I wonder if you have any, this is my Terry Gross moment. If you have any like insights about, you know, like the beginning of the country and now the... Absolutely. There's, there's, and, and that's, 
it's why I love this place so much, and it's and it's very much part of what drew me to it. Is you know certainly with Hamilton, it was there's no everybody had their a different way of approaching the history as far as how they were going to play their characters based on their actual you know life stories. I chose to investigate up to what I needed, so based on because the reality of what people were going to come see was what was written to play on the stage. Not mm-hmm. actual history, but what you as an audience were going to experience in those three hours with us in that theater. So I, I, I would stop at certain points and just not want to learn anymore because I just needed that much information to play that moment and that much information to do, satisfied, to do my shot, you know, just only so much. And I, I, I just didn't want to let in too much information. However, when it was over and like I went back and I, you know, could sort through all these books and really immerse myself in things. And then the, the world we're living under and in right now, um, I think it's why I, I love this piece so much. And I think you have to maybe even see it more than once because I, I, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know. I haven't been able to be outside and watch it, but it says so much about how, how it feels like we've come so far, but how we have not. <laughs> and, and that, and that's exactly the kind of conversation I want to be supporting and having. And, um, so yeah, you know, with Hamilton, it was real life history and in pieces, sort of piecing things together and, and then having the perspective, you know, every night playing that story, especially after the election and the impact it was having playing history now and then being able to play now, now. Right. And that's, and, and it's, it's really tremendous. Um, and it also is a little terrifying, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's a little like, wow, we have so much work to do. Wow. We have so much further to go. And, and wow, we have to be even more honest about so many things and we we're doing great right now, but like we, there's still more, there's still more layers. There's still more things to uncover and it's completely uncomfortable and that's how it should be. I've noticed you've been doing quite a bit of advocacy work around protecting Title VII so that yeah. employers can't discriminate against people in the LGBTQ community. Correct. And so do you see this play as being, which is about, you know, gay gay men who, can, who are starting a family and just living regular lives. You see that as part of that absolutely. activism? Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's part of why, I, I mean, I really hope, I hope we can even get extended. You know, I mean, I mm-hmm. hope the impact and the buzz about it is exactly that because it's, it's the most normal story you could ever witness. And it, these, the couple just happens to be gay, right? That just happens to be a, a, a layer of, 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 of race in, in this as well. Right. Because there's, there's, there is such a beauty and a comfort and, almost an, a, a great big exhale in seeing a normal story with a gay couple, just mm-hmm. a normal family story. You could replace any one of them and, and have it be a man and a woman. And the story will play out pretty much the same way. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that it, that, that, that this exists and humanizes everything instead of the stereotypes, instead of the caricatures, instead of the, the, the misinformation and all of the bias and all the things and, and, and all of the layers of hatred and judgment and prejudice and 
homophobia, all the things. It, it, it's, it's asking you to sit there and say, this is just a normal family. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly that. And, and in that moment, it absolutely defends what I, what I like to put my energy toward just as far as using my platform to, to stand up against the idea that, that an employer could fire their employees simply because they are part of the LGBT community. Something else that I think is normal is the, the amount of times that I've seen you on the end train. Oh, no I, way! Yeah. <laughs> and I'm people are like, we both live in Astoria. I'm assuming it. you're around there. So I was. I okay. used to be, yeah. Oh, you left us? I did. I did. I, moved, I, I left Astoria. Unfortunately, it was, uh, it was uh, for turbulent reasons. Um, I... Uh, After the whole oh, oh, Pence mm-hmm. speech and everything at Hamilton, my own personal security became a risk, and uh, my information got doxxed, and I had hate mail come to my doorstep, and I, for my own safety, had to leave my home. Oh, my God. Yeah. How did how did you stay? Because you seem very positive and optimistic. Oh, no, I fell that. apart. Okay. I did. I absolutely fell apart. There, you know, it, it was so terrifying, and you can only, I think a human being can only stay in that mode for so long before cracking and I was doing my, my seven shows a week I was flying to Toronto to do Shadowhunters I was living in a bubble everywhere I went and I had my mail checked at the theater I had security with me 90% of the time you know whenever I wasn't on stage and I was out and about in the building or had to go anywhere outside of the building I stopped doing the stage door and, and when you think about all those things The mind and the, and the heart can only take so much of that before it's like, I, I, I can't do this anymore. And so I was already at that threshold of like, I have to get out of the show. I have to leave this, this situation, this cycle. Um, it's completely unhealthy. And that's when everything started to, um, and I did leave the show. And just after I left the show is when everything came to my doorstep. And at that point, I was so terrified to leave my home. It was a good two weeks before I did. I didn't let anyone in for a week. Um, and I did open an unofficial police investigation to find out how local the threat was. I uh, can't speak too much about that. But we discovered enough to just put a few options on the table. And when I was looking at everything and deciding what to do, it just didn't make any sense to stay in that place anymore. And it broke my heart to leave. Um, but I needed to be safe. And that was the bottom line. And... I've moved since, and I've, it took a long time to feel safe where I moved to because I was still sort of traumatized by everything. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I absolutely fell apart. And, and I, I even did so publicly on social media. You know, that, that kind of awful pressure and fear and language circulating, you know, around you externally, even if, if you don't have faces and names is terrifying to just leave your home sometimes to get on a train. Why is that person looking at me? Is that a fan? Or is that someone that wants to hurt me? I don't know right now. And and I did have a few times on, you know, on train stations or like platforms or getting on or off a train where someone verbally said something to me, you know, in 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 conjunction with all of that hate and anger towards me. Um so yes, I very much fell apart and then I made a public apology and then Uh, I left my old reps uh, because we, we, we just, they couldn't really work with me on how to you know, move past that. And I, and I didn't feel safe with them. And I had to reconsider everything. I really, I moved and I really sat down and said, well, what's worth it now? 
what's worth it, right? Like, is it just my career as a performer or is it my activism or is it both? And, and if whatever I choose, how do I do this with the wisdom I now have uh, from what I just experienced? And so going forward, I, it took a long time to come back to my activism. It really did. And it was really terrifying. Um, I haven't really spoken at an event in a long time because I'm still a little scared about that. And, but I'm still trying to be active and I'm still supporting organizations and I'm doing the work that, you know, no one, no one's seeing it, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't be doing it. Like it's, do the work, right? Get out there, be part of, you know, the things you want to put your energy towards. So I'm still able to do that. Um, but I'm slowly creeping back into the public eye as far as maybe appearing at events and doing things. Um, and certainly my security and my personal security has amped up and um, I have a whole new team and everybody's on board and everybody knows, you know, how to handle all my information. And like, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's a crazy thing that happened. And I would be lying if I said it doesn't still affect me. It still does. Mm-hmm. but there's just two choices either to keep going or to not. And, and I just, I feel like we live in times where art matters so much in times like these art is so vital and important when you are living in turbulent times like these art can have such an impact and say so much and do so much. And that's the bottom line. It's just like, I can't give up. I can't hide. I have to get out there and I have to keep doing what I do. You're a New Yorker. That's like the worst thing they can do to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we, we know we're not supposed to look at you people like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the unspoken yeah. rule when you're in New York. You're, you're not saying anything to the celebrities. Like, yeah. Yeah. But uh, if you're comfortable sharing, yes. I, I wonder if there are any show tips specifically that help you, you know, get that inspiration in the morning to be like, today I'm choosing to keep going again. I think music in general just, just gets me going. Um, you know, there's, if anything, it's, it's, it's the days where, and I think every artist goes through this, no matter how much you've accomplished or achieved, you always hit the the lows, right? And the lows are terrifying because for some uh, irrational reason, you just think you're never going to work again for the rest of your life. And, or, or, or all you're going to do is like, you know, I don't know, end up a costume character at some theme park <laughs> to pay the bills. You know what I mean? You just think all these terrible things, but like, and not that that's terrible because I actually did that in my college years, but the, you know, but it's, it, those lows need inspiration and inspire and inspiring energy, nurturing energy so that you, you don't sort of let go right of the mm-hmm. momentum because yeah, there's supposed to be an ebb and a flow to this. Right. So in those times, music gets me through and I, I, I won't lie, like turning back to things that, you know, Lynn and I have done together are always, I mean, I don't always have the words because they're just, I mean, how, how do you describe like, the there's there's no word really that describes the the experience of revisiting when your dreams came true do you know whatever that mm-hmm. word is i don't know what that is but that's when i pull that music up you know and it's like mandy singing breathe or mandy and chris singing something or chris singing you know benny's dispatch or 
or, or, or anything from that original Hamilton, you know, recording. It, it, it all, and even stuff that like Lynn and I have done together outside of both of those, you know, demos for, for animated films that I've, you know, worked with him on and stuff and like pulling up that stuff. And, and it's like this exists and this happened. And that's, that's the, the inspiration to remember like, no, no. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> Keep going. It's fine. The silence is good. And my mother gave me the best advice ever. And she and 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 it's so simple. But just when when nothing's happening, stay still. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. And not like don't don't like go out and exercise and eat or do anything. But like don't try to always make something happen. Sometimes when things are not happening, be still. Just for that moment, because something's coming, right? And it, and it, it's like because I I've, I've found that in those times, if I if I try too hard to make something happen, it's not always the smartest idea. Mm-hmm. As already since people have come to expect for you to uh, replace the character that this played. <laughs> no, I know. Are there any characters that you would love to see him play specifically, just so you know you're playing it next? Don Quixote. <gasps> That's my dream role. <laughs> Based on New, the New Englanders that ask the question, like, are you where you want to be? Yeah. That's such a powerful theme of the show. And, and it's, and that, I mean, it, to answer that question, yes and no, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's, it's, I don't know that there's, I can, I mean, the highest of highs was Hamilton for sure. And, even in that first year of taking over and, and, and just feeling really on top of the world, it still was missing things, mm-hmm. right? There were still parts of my life that were missing, right? Not as nurtured. And then the opposite, right? Like I took a good long chunk of time to rest and heal and recover from that, those three years. And I did a lot of more, a lot more camera work, but really from the holidays till now, all I did was, working at city center and a few readings, nothing mm-hmm. really major. And, and those times feeling like, oh, this is exactly what I need. But then what's missing? Well, work, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so there, I, I, I think that's, I think, I think in the bigger sense, I'm where I want to be because I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. And as difficult as it is, I'm really working at doing it my way as far as opposed to the expectations of my type and of my gender and, and of my sexuality that, that, that those, those sort of frameworks that exist in this industry that you sort of have to make yourself mold into are not for me. So I, I'm really trying to do this my way and I'm still able to do it. And, and that's extraordinary, I think. And so I, I, I feel like in that sense, yeah, I'm exactly where I want to be. But then when we get to the details, I mean, I could lose a few more pounds. I wouldn't mind a little you know, more cream on the eyes. No, but you know what I mean? Like, there's always little things. There's always, like, you know, smaller things that are like, yeah, I, I, that needs work and that needs work. And I can, I can, I can add that into my life. And, um, but, but uh, overall, I mean, to be able to say that I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing with my life and in my life is, is extraordinary. The end. 
as I like to call it, the gay bridges of Madison County. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a second, hold on. The gay bridges of Madison County is the Bridges of Madison County musical. <laughs> the end. Yes, <laughs> Kelly. Yeah, it has Kelly. So, so maybe like Steve, Steve, the Steve Pasquale role should have been like a lesbian. No, why are you doing to the Bridges of Madison County? Yeah, like you know, like Jen Kalila or something. Uh, oh, right. Okay. Okay. And that's why she feels repressed. Kelly feels repressed is because like she's never been able to express the fullness of her sexuality. Because she's from Naples. Because she's from Italy. Oh no, that's so sad. I want to see that now. Say someone make gay bridges of Madison County happen without the kids because the kids are so annoying. Yeah, no, without the kids, without the family, no one cares. Just make it a nice two hander. Maybe the um. Anyway, wow, that's crazy. Benadryl isn't back yet. Oh, well, it's going to be back, though, because now we're going to talk about Judy. <gasps> this is so awful. Why? Uh, we're talking about drugs, and now we're going to talk about Judy. Oh, shit! <laughs> this is so awful. Oh, my God. R.I.P., she understands. Oh, God. Judy had a sense of humor about it, though. Yeah. I mean, how could she not? I mean, mm-hmm. what a fucking horrible life okay well we both recently saw judy the the judy film starring renee zellweger as judy garland directed by rupert gould and it's out now as well and i think after jose saw he texted me being like i'm crying in the bathroom right now a subway on the subway it's right so now. on the bathroom and the subway yeah, everywhere it was like tears everywhere so how walk us through your reactions why what did it do to you no. Uh, <laughs> Judy Garland holds a significant. No, I. She holds a special power over gay men specifically. Um, I mean, I'm talking right now and like gesturing with like my arm with my Judy tattoo, like I mentioned earlier, and. I don't know how to explain it. Like, it's like, imagine when you're a little girl, right? And suddenly you're watching something on TV because I was not born in 1939. So, um, so imagine you're watching The Wizard of Oz, right? And for the very first time in your entire life, someone's like talking just to you. And you're like, is everyone seeing this? Like, what's going on? And like, Rationally, you know that um, it's a movie character mm-hmm. <laughs> from like 1939, and she's not talking to you directly, but she is. Mm-hmm. Judy Garland is almost like a barcode kind of thing, like a scanner. Like, does that make any sense? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And I think even in the movie, they say that about her, right? Like, about her voice, like, going past, like, what we understand, I would say. And just, like, touching something on a soul level, or if you don't believe in souls, something unexplainable. Like, mm-hmm. And since I was a little kid, I loved The Wizard of Oz. Like, every time I felt bad, I would just watch it and watch it and watch it. One night, I saw it. Back to back to back to back four times because I couldn't get over it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I spent like over eight hours watching The Wizard of Oz, and 
you know, like, let's talk about the the biopic itself. It's not a... It's fine. Yeah. Story-wise, it's a fine biopic. It's like any biopic. Like, yeah, you exactly. Get, yeah, you get, like, flashbacks to when she was young and then, like, older. Right, but the um, story is about the last year of her life. Yeah. And when she's, you know, not sleeping, she's in debt, she's trying to get custody of her children. Oh, God, am I Judy? Huh? What? Are you... You are not Judy. You have no children. What are you talking about? Well, I haven't slept. And... I'm in Benadryl. Okay, I'm going to stop talking about Benadryl. Yeah, yeah. You're uh, on uppers, right? <laughs> Benadryl and seltzer. Um, so anyway, <laughs> even though the biopic itself is, you know, it's an okay movie. There's nothing particularly groundbreaking about it. Formally, no. Yeah, no, not at all. Like, it even looks like all the biopics. Like, yeah, yeah. This isn't yeah. Rocket Man. Like my week with Marilyn and like uh, what was that Gloria Graham movie last year? Uh, Sundays. Something. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Movie stars sign Manchester. I think. Anyway, it's not doing anything new, but uh, mm-hmm. I think most people were very preoccupied preoccupied with how Renee Zellweger was going to play Judy because Renee Zellweger does not look like Judy Garland. Renee Zellweger does not know how to sing like Judy Garland and the voice is a big part of the movie and Renee sings her uh, songs you know she sings from Judy's catalog and what I think you know the reason why I texted you that I was so moved was because I saw that Renee got what I got as a kid and I watched The Wizard of Oz for the first time Mm-hmm. And she was just like putting that on stage. And when, I mean, was she giving you what Judy gave you when you were a kid, or was it like, oh, Renee understands Judy like I understand Judy? Yeah, yeah. It was like almost like she can't give us Judy because no one can give us Judy, right? Mm-hmm. But she. Oh God! Now it's now it's not like I'm in therapy. It's um, okay. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. She, you're getting somewhere. Uh, she gets Judy, and she got that humor, and she got that darkness, and how her entire life was basically left to keep from crying. Because mm-hmm. this poor woman in this movie, when we meet her, she's being her kids have been taken away because she doesn't have a home. Mm-hmm. And she has no money, and she has to be away from her kids just so she can be with her kids. Yeah, yeah, to make money. Yeah, and it is just so I don't know. I don't want to get you know. I don't want to go like the obvious way and be like nothing has changed for women in the industry because uh, you know yeah a lot of things have not changed for women and we still see that. But what I found so special about Renee was that she. She carries that sadness that, you know, Judy Garland never was able to hide that sadness. Mm-hmm. And she makes us see how she can... Keep performing despite it. Stay alive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, but the thing is, like, I feel like also in the movie, though, there are part, there, there's a lot of portions where she, it seems like she's not able to, or she's struggling with it. Like, there's this amazing sequence where she's singing the trolley song. Oh. And 
and as they're saying as she's singing the trolley song like there's this like shots of young judy like being given pills to go to sleep and then older julie like popping those same pills in order to go to sleep and it just made it seem like her life is just like one never ending wheel of just working and just trying to stay ahead of of the demons she was put in a conveyor belt that's exactly yeah. the, the image that i saw she was put in a conveyor belt and she just i don't you know like i i i find it so hard to understand how someone who has everything taken away from them can still give people so much mm-hmm. i don't know how she did it and well i think they showed you how she did it though but but you know what i mean like yeah, how yeah. does someone do that like how is someone so and it's not like romanticizing her like i mean she could be like a lot you know like she was a lot uh and it's not like saying she was a hero or like a saint or anything like that which kind of became um afterwards but it's i don't know it's i don't know i don't know how renee did it i thought it was just she doesn't sound like her she does not sound like her but but you think that she makes she makes you believe that that's what judy sounded like because it's her judy yeah exactly but the essence is the same i feel like yeah and like i you know like one of the things that i found the most moving about the movie was that um and i keep you know i have to be very uh crass i guess about this and i have to bring up age and you know renee somewhere is 50 years old Mm -hmm. and judy garland Died at 47. Yeah. So the fact that Renee Zellweger can be in a movie, you know, and she outlived Judy, mm-hmm. I think that's it's so beautiful. Like it's it's testament to Renee's. Uh, or how resilient women are, though. Yeah. Because you know what? Because because remember when everyone was talking about like Renee's face, Renee's weight. She was out of work for six years. Yeah. 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 It's, and it's like, it's like, I I think, I think she tapped into it because she was able to understand like the level of scrutiny it takes to work in that industry and how, and how people can be simultaneously cruel, but at the same time, like you love the art form so much that you can't imagine yourself not doing it. And so you just, and that kind of saves you at the same time. It's still like a little sad paradox that artists live in. I wanted to ask Renee, like, why do you keep acting? (laughs) Why do you keep, it's it's like, it's kind of like acting Javier. Like, why do you keep acting? These people are sending you death threats. Yeah. But, you know, when it's a calling, it's a calling. That's so insane though. It is insane. I mean, mean, yeah. Well, how, and you know, Judy just kept on performing until she literally could not perform anymore. Oh man. I know it's a so. In, in other words, it's a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's a fine movie. It's an oak. It's a great performance. It is so good. Yeah, yeah, like every time a camera is on Renee Zellweger, it is like you are there. Every time the camera is not on Renee Zellweger, fine. You kind of want to be somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> so. And I promised you some trivia. Ooh, yes, give me Judy trivia. Yeah, because like I, you know, like. Uh, at some point, this movie, which I think is extraordinary in a very ordinary way. Anyway, like, Renee's extraordinary, and I think the movie's very special on its own, so, you know, like... But the movie, at some point, is going to become just, like, the fodder of, like, award season, right? And, like, will Renee have her comeback and all that Is Renee going right? to get an Oscar? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, who cares about the Oscars? Because Judy Collin never won an Oscar, so fuck you. She never won an Oscar? There we go. So... Really? She only won one on screen, and 
Yes, and, and a form. fake Academy. Oh my, serious. Oh so, man, no wonder she was depressed. I mean, so I promised. <laughs> I promised I would tell you the story about how it was um, the year of a star is born that the uh, very uh, troublesome tradition of like beautiful women uglifying themselves became the standard of mm-hmm. what great acting is. So we go back to 1954. Uh, Judy Garland has her big comeback in A Star is Born after not being very successful for a while and like having, you know, like her problems become like very known and uh, part of you know, like the press like being all over her. And then she does A Star is Born, which like just like in the first 20 minutes when she sings The Man That Got Away, mm-hmm. just end the movie here. Like, we don't need more, right? But then yeah, she yeah. gives us three more hours of that. So, uh, Judy Garland had this incredible performance where she, oh my God, just like born in a trunk. I mean, how can you watch that sequence and not be like, Judy, like you're a goddess? Anyway, that year, future uh, princess of Monaco, Grace Kelly, decided mm-hmm. to put some dirt on her face, like wear like a frumpy dress and play the farmer's wife. Um, In what movie? It was called the... Uh, are you ready for this? The Country Girl. <laughs> so there's this beautiful Grace Kelly with like... The prince, know, a literal princess who's, gonna, who's playing a country girl. Yeah, no makeup. And she's playing... The, yeah, I know. And she's playing the wife of an alcoholic. And oh guess... Oh, does she look tired? She looked like... Ooh, she looked like a real person. <laughs> So guess who won the Oscar that night? Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly, yeah. And then ever since that, we have people like Julie Theron and Brie Larson and all these beautiful women who, you know, put on some like... To put on a fake nose and then, then they win their Oscar. Gain a few pounds and attractive makeup and here are your awards. Mm-hmm. And that's how it all started. So Judy was not only robbed... Of uh, recognition for Star is Born, which I think is like one of the most incredible performances ever captured on screen. But then they gave us a curse of like the easy route to like awards. I mean, I guess Hollywood couldn't, you know, they're trying to find other ways to fuck with her. Yeah. Yeah. It never stopped fucking with her. I do not resent the second time Judy lost the Oscar, though, because she was only nominated twice. Really? Yeah. She she won, like, a special... I mean, those don't count. (laughs) She won, like, a special, like, youth Oscar for The Wizard of Oz. What? A youth? Like, not even, like, an actress Oscar? It was, like, even, like, a tiny Oscar. (laughs) Shirley Temple had one also, I think. Anyway, uh, the second time Judy was nominated uh, was for Best Supporting Actress for uh, Judgment at Nuremberg in 1961. Okay. But she lost, the, she lost the Oscar that year to Rita Moreno and West Side Story. Okay, but you can't be mad. Yeah. I'm I mean, like, it was Rita Moreno and West Side Story. I'm like, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah but Grace Kelly, I mean, come on, Grace. <laughs> I mean, it's a, lot, it's a stretch for and to go from a princess to being a country girl. I it's know. hard. No makeup. I know. Being, pretending to be poor is so hard. Mm. And married to an older man. <laughs> Uh, anything else we want to say about Judy? I don't know. Now I, now I just want to go like and listen to the soundtrack because it's of so Judy beautiful. the movie of yeah. Renee Zellweger doing it. Yeah. Huh. 
Because it's kind of like drunk karaoke. <laughs> but Brene Zellweger is every gay drag queen's fantasy. She is. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even a drag queen, and she's, like, totally my fantasy. Um, yeah, it's kind of like drunk karaoke where you can feel like the person really means it. Mm-hmm. But she sounds great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, no, she's definitely lip-synced for her life. Yeah. No. Apparently, she sang live. Yeah, yeah, I talked to the director. Oh, yeah, because you talked to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and he said most of the songs she did, like, they had her sing live on stage in order in front of the audience in order to, like, capture just, like, the pressure of, like, performing and, like, her nervous energy. That must have been so terrifying. For her? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah I'm sure. And, and it shows, though, because I, I think the great thing was... Like, because I, I, I think if you, you know, if you did Judy at the height of her fame, then you would need like a different actress and it would be like a different kind of movie. But this is about Judy at the end of her life where she wasn't sure if she was able to perform anymore and she was still doing it because she just has to. Mm-hmm. And so like there's that just that desperation and that fear is and the imperfections of Renee's voice really brought across that this isn't a performer at the top of her game anymore but it's Judy Garland so we're just gonna forgive all her imperfections because she's an icon I wonder how many people are gonna be are gonna go watch Judy with the same very morbid approach like oh let's see if Judy falls on stage tonight because we're fucking horrible human beings. Oh, they! I think so. Yeah, and I'm I sure people so. are going to be like, "Oh, I can't wait to see if Renee sucks." Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure a lot of a lot of gay men are like, "Oh, Renee can't do it." I'm, I'm a, a, a good amount of people were very skeptical that, skeptical that that she could do it. Well, jokes on you. I know mm-hmm. everyone was wrong. She make an Oscar, and I won't be mad about it. And she better sing. You want her to sing at the Oscars? I mean, I don't care. I want her to, like, bring Judy back. (laughs) Just, like, be, play Judy, like, all the time. I want her to, like, confess that she found, like, a a ruby slipper. And then, like, she was possessed by the spirit of Judy. Mm. That would be so cool. Mm. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. And thank you, Jose, for teaching us about Judy today. It's my duty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, that rhymes. All right. And thank you all for listening to this episode. If you want to see the video of us interviewing Javier, because he's very pretty, then check out YouTube. And anything else you want to say to the people? Zing went the strings of my heart. <laughs> clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Oh, I love the trolley song. <laughs> Ding, oh, ding, yeah. zing, went the, the bells. Ding, 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 went my heartstring. From the moment I, I saw him, him I, I fell. <laughs> anyway, rate us, rate us, and review us, and let other people know that there's a theater podcast, and people talk on it for an hour. Yeah. And remember, theater's more fun when you take a friend. Bye.